Hey, it's Jill, and this is Vienna. Weird, rude, arty. Vienna has it all. Plus a penis terrarium. One minute it was there, the next minute it was gone. My suitcase, pinched off a train somewhere between Paris and Vienna. Did it contain items that will cost me thousands to replace? Yes. Are they of even limited commercial value to anyone else? Probably not. Apart from a Patagonia jacket, eBay on sale value, circa 200 bucks. Was there anything irreplaceable in it? Not really. Apart from my sketch notebook, containing the originals of the Williamsburg Venn diagram, the Paris Venn diagram, my map of Oxford from Word Smoke, and many other drawings besides. Do I realize that this is a hardcore first world problem and I need to just shut the fuck up and make my peace with it? Yes. Thanks. Already have. It's gone. Let's move on. Now, it might be the lost suitcase. But Vienna instantly disagreed with me. Like when you eat something rancid and have a big bacterial vomit, the first few hours left a lingering bitterness. It was 5.57pm when I alighted from the train, sans suitcase, and 6pm on the nose when I tried to get into a still-bustling pharmacy in the train station. A woman marched to close the door on me. Please, I just need a toothbrush. No, we are closed. She moved in front of the door, barring entry, affronted to her core that I presumed to enter the pharmacy at 6pm in 20 seconds. Please, I tried one more time. I lost my bag and I have nothing. She would not be moved, physically or emotionally. The whole establishment watched with mild interest. No, the pharmacy is closed now. You must leave. So I grabbed her shoulders and brought her face to my knee with a crunch. Not really. I just glared at her for a long moment to let her know that she won't ever be getting into my pharmacy after hours, and stalked off to a night of dental decay. Straight to the hotel, rather than eat on the way, I ended up getting off a stop early in a strangely deserted neighborhood. Several men gave me appraising up and downs. I whispered to myself, still got it. Later, I realized that quiet neighborhood was the red light district. I also realized I hadn't been propositioned and wasn't quite sure how to take that. At the hotel, did they have any rooms with tubs? Did they fuck? <laughs> I begged the kind lad on reception to please give me a room on the quiet side. The noisy side faced the Prater, which appears on maps as an expansive, tranquil parkland when you book the hotel but is in reality a neon-lit, acres-wide amusement park, echoing with the thunder of roller coasters and screams. I tapped to unlock my room on the quiet side. A blast of cold air smacked me in the face. The balcony door was wide open. The room was dark. A masked, chainsaw-wielding lunatic lurched gently from the curtains. Quickly, I stepped back to the hallway and closed the door. 
I had to exert extra force against the steady breeze coming in off the balcony. I went back down to reception. An older Italian couple were checking in. And we booked the breakfast, right? Yes, I recommend you go upstairs and let staff know. But we booked it. Yes, you booked it, but to reserve a table, it is best to let them know. Okay. So we take payment ahead of time. That will be 366 euro. 10 minutes of faffing with different cards and tapping and not authorized and insert here and maybe try this card and urgent conversations in Italian between husband and wife. I felt my life force draining away. Finally, they paid. Okay, and we paid for breakfast too, right? Yes, but please let them know upstairs. Oh, upstairs. Yes, you have to let them know upstairs. For breakfast? Yes. Eventually, they exhausted their repository of inane questions and shuffled off. I explained the situation. The kind chap switched me to a different room, one without lunatics behind ominously swaying curtains. In the meantime, I asked for a dinner recommendation, and without hesitation, he recommended a place five minutes walk away. Best Viennese food in town. You will eat so much and sleep for 12 hours. Great, that sounds perfect. They were full. So I ended up at a Chechen restaurant, where they served me meat-stuffed dumplings and carrot sauce, and cherry-colored tea in little glasses with a basket of sugar-dusted fried pastry. It was unexpectedly lovely. And just when I was thinking, maybe I've been a bit hard on Vienna, and really, it's quite all right. It was time to pay. Cash only. The next evening, I went to the opera. Not the real opera, let's not get carried away. Even if I had access to my full wardrobe, I don't have anything suitable for the Vienna National Opera House. Have you seen it? Google it. Get real. No, the one I went to is the Volksoper, or People's Opera. It's a couple stops away from the frothy center of the inner ring, in a neighborhood where the best food option I could find was a vegan burger place. In any case, I was in no way prepared for even the quiet grandeur of the People's Opera. Bag still AWOL. No shops or pharmacies open on a Sunday. No deodorant to be had. I was easily the stinkiest and most raggedy person there by a country mile. I've never felt more country in my life. No big deal, just me, the scruffiest, most unwashed person in the Vienna Volksoper. The lady checking tickets gave me a bollocking for having a backpack with me. It was too big. It must be checked in the cloakroom. She would not be moved. I sensed a theme. I tried to explain that I had lost my suitcase and all my otherworldly possessions. This small backpack contained everything I had left, my wallet, passport, and laptop. And if I lost it too, the consequences were unthinkable. I would be reduced to roaming the streets of Vienna for the rest of my days. Can you imagine? Nothing. She had nothing. She lost everything, every single thing. She lives in Vienna now, in a box. She'll find her way home someday. I point-blank refused to check it, 
and when she turned away, sneaked upstairs and hid my backpack under my seat. Anytime the upper-level steward came near, I shifted my leg in front of it, lest she give me yet another bollocking. So many bollockings. And it was only day two. Anyway, the dancing was fine. It was opening night for this modern ballet production. There's a link. Contortions, costumes, some nice music. Nothing overtly memorable. Except this. You know that scene in The Sound of Music at the end of the Salzburg Folk Festival when they're announcing the runners-up, third prize, and then second prize ahead of the Von Trapp family singers? Remember how each act takes an inconceivably long time on stage, bowing to the audience and to themselves and shaking hands and accepting plaudits, and the applause just goes on and on and on? Now, I always thought that was for comedic and dramatic effect, to make it more plausible that the Von Trapp family singers had time to slip out and go hide in the abbey behind those elaborate gates while Sister Bertha and Sister Margareta steal the distributor caps from the Nazis' cars. Great movie. Fight me. Well, I am here to tell you that this is not dramatic embellishment. This is absolutely true to life, drawn from reality, accurate as fuck. The Austrians really, really like a curtain call. Boy, oh boy, do they like it. I'm telling you this so you'll be forewarned and forearmed as I was not. Clapping goes on for a minimum of 10 minutes. Really, a full 10 minutes at least. Count that out and try clapping the whole time without pause. Your hands will be ringing, throbbing painfully, as were mine. Each performer on their own and then in every possible permutation and combination of twos, threes, fours, fives, sevens comes forward multiple times for their own bow and wave. Then the whole line together. Twice. You think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Go to the opera in Vienna, I dare you. Then, just when I thought they must be done, surely they must be done now. Someone ran off and fetched someone in the wings, a director or choreographer. And they ran forward for their own little bow. Then that person joined the line, and they all had another bow together. Then someone else was fetched from the wings, and the process repeated, I kid you not, about four more times. And through it all, radiant, ecstatic, unwavering applause. I was weary. I've never felt like more of a foreigner, and had to stop myself trying to catch a neighbor's eye to have a shared moment of disbelief at how completely farcical the whole thing was. But I dared not. They take it really seriously. And, well, this is Austria. Someone might just step up behind me and take me out with a silencer for lack of applause, stamina, and offenses against the diktat on opera bag size. Day three found me searching out a Viennese coffee house. I read lies, sorry, good things about Café Jelinek, site 1910, and set off there in the rain. It's at the far end of Taddy Maria Hilferstrasse, down a couple side streets, so finding it was no mean feat. When I walked in, the two women working there looked me over and continued what they were doing. No flicker of acknowledgement, nothing. 
I hovered dripping wet in an awkward space next to the coffee bar in between some tables. There were plenty of empty spots, so I pointed to one questioning, preparatory to sitting down. One of the women gave me a hand up, now wait just a second there, pal, kind of motion, and continued what she was doing for the next 10 minutes. Now, under usual circumstances, I'd have taken this as my cue to fuck off. Things can only go downhill from here. But it's pissing down, and not understanding the language or why she might be making me stand there made me hesitate. I was still standing there when a customer brushed past me to pay. The woman behind the counter turned to her, and they conversed in rapid, enthusiastic German. She paid, turned smiling to leave, and noticed me still standing there, with what I can only assume was a superlatively pissed off and incredulous look on my face. In perfect English, everyone in Vienna speaks perfect English. Are you okay? Can I help you find something? I'm just waiting for them to pay some attention to me and let me sit down. The woman behind the counter looked at me like I pooped in her strudel and found me a seat. The food was overpriced, 20 quid for ham, cheese, and crap bread, but at least I learned a powerful lesson. If they won't seat you in Vienna, you should take the hint and fuck off. Then it came time to pay. <laughs> Cash only. Of course the ATM she directed me to was broken. Of course it was. You can't make this shit up. So I hiked to a bank up on Maria Hilferstrasse. I toyed with the idea of doing a runner without paying. Visions of jackbooted firing squads swam before my eyes. I hastened back to the cafe, where I counted out exactly 23 euro and 80 cents, and not a penny more. Day four, and I've been directed to the Augustine reading room in a wing of the National Library, which has the manuscripts I want to see. When I walked in, the guy behind the counter gave me a look that said, dream on. Did you make an appointment? No. My hopefulness was sweet. The woman behind the main desk said I didn't need to. You need to make an appointment. I persisted. My persistence was adorable, as if I didn't know by then that you can't argue with a rule in Vienna. But, you see, I made the order. I showed the woman behind the desk my order, and she said it was ordered. She said to just come here to view it. They are students behind the desk there, scoffing at me, at them, at anyone who doesn't know the rules. They don't know anything. You must make an appointment. There's just no arguing with this kind of rule stating. It can't be overcome. It's inflexible. A fundamental law of physics like gravity. Compliance is the only option. Okay, how do I make an appointment? You must email the curators. How long does that take? Usually three days. I'm leaving the day after tomorrow. This is terrible news. So I emailed the curator, explained the situation, explained what I wanted to view and why, and within an hour, had a cheerful response from a lovely woman telling me that I could view the requested manuscript the next day. All I have to do is show the guy behind the desk her email. To celebrate, I treated myself to a petit four and coffee in Café Central, where Freud and Trotsky whiled away their days. It is every inch the splendid Vienna coffee house, 
The waiter was friendly, the cakes were great, and I could feel myself warming to Vienna by inches and degrees. Speaking of inches, on the way back to my room later, I spotted this penis terrarium built into a wall, which made me like Vienna even more. There's a picture in the piece. Who needs luggage when you have a penis terrarium? Last day in Vienna, and after a return to the reading room to finally, finally see those documents, I decided to give my cross eyes a break and gorge at the Kunsthistorisches Museum. Now, I'm not much of one for Habsburg guilt or naked Renaissance flesh, but the Kunsthistorisches has the largest collection of Bruegel the Elder in the world. You may recall from an earlier piece, I am a sucker for Flemish art in general, and for Bruegel the Elder in particular. I always find myself drawn to the backgrounds in his paintings. I've written about the concept of Wimmel Bilderbuch before, the world in a painting, every corner filled with detail, scenes within scenes within scenes. All of my favorite art is like this, and my favorite books too. The little scenes spied far off, people carrying things over bridges, carting firewood, a big theme in those pre-central heating, frozen Central Europe days. People playing, fighting, dancing. Stories of how people just lived every day. I could, I did, stare at them for hours. Babel. Peasant wedding. Hunters in the snow. Children's games. The fight between Carnival and Lent. My new favorite, that one. Detail at the top of this piece. There's a fish-pig joust. Averkamp does Wimmel Bilderbuch too, and Ten Years, but nobody does it like Papa Bruegel. Later, I left the Kunsthistorisches feeling like Vienna and I might have got off on the wrong foot. This city doesn't give itself up easily. Just ask Napoleon, or the Ottomans. I realize that if I'm ever to start trying to get a handle on sprawling, sumptuous, and utterly unmanageable Vienna... I need to learn the rules. I need some context, detail, and a hell of a lot of background. Here's an addendum from the return journey. So this piece covers cumulatively about an hour and a half of what I got up to on a five-day research trip to Vienna, not counting a day of travel on either side. Yes, I lost my suitcase on a German train. There was also a German train strike. In a country as efficient and well-organized as Germany, this struck me as unfortunate. What are the odds of a German train strike on the one day ever in history on which I have to travel from a country on one side of Germany to a country on the other side of Germany through Germany? Incredible. That, plus the theft of my suitcase, leaves me feeling charitably indisposed towards the entire German rail network. Needs a small measure of improvement, I would say. Incidentally, what needs no improvement, and the undisputed high point of my return trip, was the police report I made in Munich about the theft of my suitcase. Now, you may not be aware of this, but let me tell you. The police in Munich? Incredibly attractive. I know, I know, problematic, let's be professionals. Perving over German figures of martial authority, not a done thing, I know. But seriously, wow, five stars, would recommend. 
He asked for an itemized list of what was in the bag, and I named a couple of big-ticket items. It occurred to me that, in anticipation of a solo week in Vienna, the suitcase also contained my best dildo and charger. I left that off the itemized list. Anyway, here I am on the Eurostar on the way back to London. Hour and a half delay, nice. To meet Joel, who just came off a 14-hour journey of his own back from a conference in the States. I'd planned to go with him up until a few weeks ago, but some internal urgency compelled me to put my story first. To go to Vienna alone and spend a week immersed in that story. Way better than sitting around coffee shops outside a conference center in San Diego. Now I need to take stock of my trip, write up notes, and begin a lengthy process of actually writing this story. It will be a matter of months, if not years, so please be patient. If you're interested, I've set up a log of the journey. You can check it out under log on the Litter homepage. There's more still to research. Endless questions. I won't say more about the research, but I will say that, as in a Vimmel builder book painting, nature abhors a vacuum. My horror vacui leads me to fill in gaps where no information exists. After all, isn't that what fiction is? And then a footnote on the dildo. Perhaps my beloved dildo is furnishing a new penis terrarium by now. Who can say? I live in hope. My only consolation about this whole debacle is that when they open my bag, Whoever stole it will get a nice dildo surprise. Fuck you, thieves. <laughs>